Good morning, everybody. Ah, oh, good morning. It's an honor to be with you. My name is Sam again. It's an honor because from a distance for the last couple of years, I've seen your church growing. I'm from Redlands, and so we've been praying for you. We've been cheering you on. So being here in person is absolutely amazing. Seeing you, you're real. You've been theoretical up to now, but you're real. So, and if you're visiting today, you know, I hope you know that this is part of a, uh, a large sisterhood of, of uh, communities that are rising up all over the world now. And... Um, doing this every Sabbath. I want to thank my brother Patty who invited me to do this today with you. Uh, Patty's amazing. I thought this morning, I woke up thinking, I wish everyone had a Patty in their life. <laughs> there are people going through life without a Patty. I love them. Patty's like my mother. <laughs> now let me explain. He's like my mother in that uh, my mother makes everyone feel like they're the most important person to them. All their children anyway. Um, so Patty makes everyone feel like you're the most important person to him at the moment. But in your mind, you know, there's others. There's others, I know. But right now, I'm the most important to you. So anyway, thank you for having me. Um, the, the church, our church, our community is in a series called Momentum. And this week's passage that helps us to understand what a church in Momentum um, is going through, undergoing through, is from Hebrews 12. And I want to just dive right in and begin reading this passage with you and then drawing some lessons from it about what Momentum could mean to our community. So Paul, we assume it's Paul, there's some discussion about who the author is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Paul today. Paul writes this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, I'm gonna pause here and talk for a few moments. There's enough to talk about here for a long time, but I'm gonna just try to limit myself to just a couple of things we've already learned here. Paul says, since we, not you individually, he says we communally. And it's important to remember that because that's going to be the theme for the rest of our reading of this passage. And then he says this, there's this crowd of witnesses that... Um, witnesses to the life of faith. What's he talking about? To understand that, we'd have to go and read the entire chapter 11 of Hebrews to know what he's talking about. I'm going to summarize it for you. He's talking about all of these heroes of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, that he's been naming in the, in the 11th chapter of this book. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, there's 16 of these heroes. And then, because he doesn't want to keep going with the list, he just says, the faith of many more. So there's many that he could keep listing. He's naming these as the cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. Paul is not saying that they're watching us as we run. He's not saying that. They're not watching us, and so we have to perform so we don't disappoint them. He's actually saying, this is who we are. These people I just named is our identity, is our roots. We are, we are Moses crossing the, the Red Sea. We are Joshua crossing the Jordan River. We are Rahab taking a major risk and in inviting these stranger invaders into her home. We are David a man after God's own heart. He's trying to make sure we're connected to a long narrative that begins all the way at the beginning of this world. 
So there's always a danger that we don't do that. We forget that there's a narrative that extends beyond Portland, that extends beyond you know, who we are right now in the last 100 years, the last 200 years. We are part of a long arc of what God has been doing in the world. Can I explain it this way? The last time I was in Portland, it was one of the happiest times of my life. November 2, 2021. I was parked in the airport, um, and my wife and I had just landed about an hour before. It was in the evening, and I made her sit in the parking lot at PDX because it was the last three innings of the World Series. <laughs> I didn't want any distraction. The Braves were about to win the, the, the World Series after 25 years of waiting. Um, I mean, I, anyone, anyone remember this? You do not remember because this is Portland. You don't have baseball. Do you know what baseball is? <laughs> oh, ouch. Do you know what championships are? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sensitive. <laughs> so anyway, we sat there and, and I waited until the last sweet moment. Oh. Then I got out of the car and I went completely nuts, running up and down, yelling, we won, we won, we won. She's sitting in the car with her hands in her, you know, her face in her hands, just embarrassed to death. I get back in the car and she says, they won, you didn't win, you weren't actually playing today. <laughs> you completely misunderstand fanhood. Back where I'm at, you know, we're, I live in Laker country, Laker nation, obnoxious. Super obnoxious. I know. I, I would know that resonate with you, Trey Blazers. So, so, you know, when the season starts, all the little flags come out in my neighborhood and on the cars and my neighborhood. There's all kinds of, we are Laker. No, you're not. You're not one of the five on the court. You're not. But yet you are because you're connected in such a way that this is your story. We won last year. We won in 1995. The Braves. It's the same thing that's going on here. Paul is trying to connect us beyond our current circumstances, beyond what we can see. He's trying to say, we are Moses. We, this is the cloud of witnesses to the faith. By faith, he says, by faith, all these people walked with God. And look at all the miracles, all the things that happened in their life. We won. Now, I'll explain it to this. I see, I see some of you parents here. I'll explain it to you this way. Maybe you understand it better this way. My, my son... We have two children, my daughter, amazing, razor sharp, intelligent, talented. She plays keyboards for Crosswalk Chattanooga. Um, and then we have this other son. <laughs> I love him too. I know you don't record here, so I can say, well, oh, there's a camera, never mind. <laughs> there's another one. Okay, well, love you. I love you, Micah. <laughs> now nah, he's, he's great. I love him. Uh, he, um, when he was about uh, nine, 10 years old, he decided one day, I'm done bathing. We're done, I'm not doing that thing anymore. We'd say, no, nah, you, you're gonna bathe because you stink. And I would say to him, um, when was the last time you bathed? Uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, we sent him off to camp, I get this. Sent him off to camp in a suitcase, packed neatly. We've helped him pack and he had all the clothing he needed for the whole week. He came back a week later with the suitcase intact. The only thing that got used was the bathing suit, which was shoved into the top pocket of his suitcase. We knew. Disgusting. 
And I would tell him that you smell like a rotten onion, go bathe. So he'd go in the shower and you could hear the water running and he'd get his hair wet. He'd come out and he'd smell worse than he did before. And then one day his mother, who is way wiser than I am, sat him down and she said, Micah, you are Eleanor. We bathe. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. And, and, in, and in fact, he, he began to bathe. Now, um, he, he believes it was because he noticed girls. And, um, but, but she told him who he already was. And we laugh about it. He's 19 now. We laugh about it now. It was like she was saying to him, we are house Lenore. For centuries, our royal household has bathed. We're known as the bathers. <laughs> we bathe. She she reminded him of his identity, and it made a difference. And sometimes when you're told, side note, when you're told who you should become constantly instead of who you already are, it kind of wears you down. Someone's, someone's, someone's hearing. And maybe instead of doing that constantly, we should tell people who they already are. Maybe you need to hear that today. This is who you are. You are part of a long lineage. Moses, David, Enoch, all this is who we already are. So Paul's about to say, with this cloud of witnesses to our faith, run. This is who you belong. This is your team who you belong to. Should we move on? Let's move on. So um, then he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Every weight. He says, strip. Strip off every weight that slows you down. And we love talking about the second part of that, that advice, the sin, because we're good about talking about sin. But he says, notice he says everything, every weight that slows us down. There's other things that slow us down, not just sin. We'll come back to that, don't worry. And then let us run, he says. Let us run. And by the way, here's it's a, the only time I'm going to nerd out on the Greek language for a moment. Let us run is not... Uh, let us run now. Let's begin running now. It's actually the, what it tries to convey is the way it should be rendered is run continuously or keep running. It's almost like, the, like Paul is saying to us, uh, you've already been running? Keep going because you've got this history. You've got, you belong to an amazing team that extends all the way uh, to the beginning of this world. Keep running with endurance that the race, the race God has set before us. Why? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by the way, first, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So he finished the race already. Paul's not saying run a race because you got to win this race. He's already saying, he's saying, signaling, Jesus has already won the race. You only join it now like he did because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside, besides God's throne. Three observations and, uh, and uh, we'll go to lunch. Amen? <laughs> All right. I'm going to take that as an agreement with the preacher today. Number one, pretty easy to remember. Keep running. Keep running and keep running together. Keep running together. 
Uh, why is it that Paul, if you go back to this text and read it later, you'll notice that he always says, let us run, we run. It's all about us running together. It's important. You got to pay attention to that because I think that is the message, part of the big message in this, in this passage. We are living in a culture that has steeped us completely and deeply in this rampant Western individualism that is not how the Bible talks about us. And I don't hear any amens on that, but let me explain a little bit more about that. We live, our momentum is away from the kind of community that the Bible talks about. Think about the way that we live. If you live in an apartment right now, you're always thinking about that huge ranch you're going to own someday in Wyoming or Montana. I was talking to my daughter uh, just this last week, who is a senior in college. She's been living in dorms for the last four years. <laughs> she says, I'm kind of done with this. I'm done with uh, rooming in dorm. I want my own room. She says, I can't wait to get an apartment. And I know the way it's going to go because this is the way it goes for everybody. She's got an apartment now. And someday she's going to look at that apartment and say, I'm done living in an apartment. I want to live in a, in a house with uh, some, some room. And if she has children, she's going to say, I want, I want a house with room and enough room to get a pony so my kids can ride around in a pony. And eventually she's going to, you know, this is like our, anyone, you know, does anyone dream of going back to a room in a dorm? Oh, that's the trajectory I'm on, right? Some, some of you laugh, some of you twitch like, no, I'm on, I've got PTSD from life in the, right, that's a, that's a human momentum. But, but guess what? The, the world of the Bible is pulling us back into life exactly like a dorm. I go to prepare a place for you. Some of you are going to really reject this word today, I know. I go to a place, I'm going to prepare a place for you, not a mansion. We love singing about a mansion, but Jesus didn't say a mansion. He said, it's a place for you so that my dwelling can be with you. The point is for us to be together. Um, the dwelling of God coming for God to be with us and us to be together. We, we, don't, we don't want that kind of proximity because it forces us to confront the fact that we are made, in fact, for that community. So at the same time, I was, I was joking about some of you wanting a bigger ranch, a bigger room. If you think back to your days in the dorm, if you ever lived in one, there were, were probably some of the sweetest, deepest, connected times you had in life, wasn't it? Hey, think about the way we listen to music. Music was meant to be listened to uh, out loud like we do here. I mean, uh, but now we figured out how to contain the entire world's history of music, all of it in one small access device to the web, and you can listen to music every day, all the time, by yourself, never having to interact with anybody. Hmm? I was talking to a couple of friends who went to 21 Pilots on Thursday night. Amazing. Why is it amazing to go listen to music in person when you can listen to it by yourself? And Ah, because you're listening together. And it's the way it's... How did we listen to music before we could record it? It had to be together. Think about scripture. Think about reading. We, were, we didn't have printing presses before Gutenberg. We had to get together and hear the word read together. And it had to be interpreted together. And it had to be, um, it had to be wrestled with together. We are, we are designed and made for community. And our momentum is usually away from this. This is why Paul, I think, calls us back in Hebrews 12. He says, run together. Point number one, keep running together. Keep running together. We need each other. We need each other. So back home, um, 
Don't be fooled by my physique. I don't go to a CrossFit um, every day. It's not really my sport. I want to appreciate some of you who laughed really loud. That was just for Snickers, not for, not for loud ha-ha-has. <laughs> I try to run just because, you know, I'm trying to stay alive. So, so running is what I do, um, and I try to do it in the morning. So I brought a picture of where I run. Uh, I, I try to go three or four times a week. Do you have a picture of, uh, of the Coyote Trail? I gave it to the crew a little late. Um, that's it. That's the Coyote Trail. Now, you know, when, when I was looking at this picture when I took it, I consider this really beautiful, but because you live in Portland, <laughs> you, um, you have this thing here called, what's it called? Oh, yeah, rain. <laughs> um, Believe it or not, this is actually a beautiful open space where I live that I'm um, very popular in. It's called the Coyote Trail. The first time I went to the Coyote Trail, it's about five minutes from where I live. The first time I went to the Coyote Trail, I began my run thinking, why do they call it the Coyote Trail? Oh, I found out quick. <laughs> They're everywhere. Um, and it's usually not a problem, except for when you see them in packs of five, sometimes ten. Sometimes ten. If there's ten of them, you, you, got, you got to think about it twice. You got, you got to think about, think about whether you should be running this morning. So anyway, so I go in the mornings, and, and um, something happens August to October every single year. Uh, so there's a university near us called Cal Baptist University. And there's a cross-country team at Cal Baptist University that trains on the Coyote Trail. And they come out sometime around 6 a.m. when I go on my run. Right, and so when I get on the trail, if the bus of students, athletes is not there yet, I know I can start running, and I'll run my two miles in before I turn around, and usually they reach me anyway. Even if I have a five-minute head start on them, they, they get to me, and they're really polite because they're good Christian kids from Cal Baptist University. First, the men's team. Morning, morning, morning. I, it's usually morning. <laughs> they go all the way. I don't know how far they go. They go way further than I do. I usually, then the women's team passes me. And they're, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Um, then I turn around before they do, way before they do, I'm sure. And I run to my car, and then they pass me again on the way to the bus. Um, so, you know, hey, 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 yeah. This happens every time I go. If I don't get, if I get there by, if I don't beat them, um, it doesn't happen to me, the, the, the indignity. But if, if I do start before them, it usually happens. So, one day, I decided on my way back, I could see them behind me. So, not today. <laughs> no, not today. So, I pick up the pace, looking at my watch. Okay, 150, I can do it, 160 beats per minute, heart, okay, I got it. The men reach me, I'm like, okay, here we go. No, not today, I'm going to make it. I had like a mile and a half left, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. They go on, their peloton, you know, it just moves on. I'm like, okay, the women, I can hang on with the women. And then they reach me, and I'm like, no, I'm staying with this group. And I did, and I, you know, I'm looking at my watch. I was up to 190 beats per minute. Any cardiologists here, please, please don't give me any advice afterwards. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. I imagine I looked hilarious trying to keep up with all these, all these athletes. But I made it. They, they paced me. I could, I could do it. I was running with a group that was so strong. And they were so kind to me. Keep running. You got it. Keep running. <laughs> 
I got home and I'm bragging to Shelly, my wife. She said, Sam, you're a man in your 50s. <laughs> that is the red zone for heart attack. Those 19-year-olds have nothing to worry about. I said, I know, but you've got, you know, you've got me. If I fall and I, something goes wrong, it calls you. The, my watch calls you automatically. <laughs> Keep running together. Not only because you can sustain a better pace, but because you can encourage to keep running together. When the politics of church gets ugly, keep running together. When your schedule is so out of control, you don't know if you have time for this, do keep running together. When it feels, your life feels overwhelming with maybe doubt that you can't voice and you're afraid no one really knows exactly how you're feeling, keep running with people. Keep running. I mean, for some of you who are in the middle of tough things, um, parenting, in stages of life that are tough, keep running with people. For those of you who are maybe um, wrestling with decisions you've made in your past that are coming back to haunt you, and you feel like this is not the place for you, you want to run alone, oh, keep running with people. Keep doing it. Paul says, keep running together. Second point. Throw off whatever is hindering you. Run light. Oh, just, we don't have to dwell on this a whole lot, but run, run light. Yes, sin. If there's something that's hindering you, deal with it, of course. But I think Paul's also saying whatever it is that's keeping you from running, throw it off. Is it pride? Uh, is it unresolved things of your past? Is it uh, jealousies about your life or maybe how your community is functioning compared to others, throw these things off so you can actually keep running the race that God called you for, to, to run. Finally, number three, throw off whatever is, um, sorry, that was the last point. Keep your eyes on Jesus. This is probably the most important thing we can do is keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, Paul knows that if we become a congregation, a church, a movement about something other than Jesus, we're going to get lost. We're going to turn on each other. We're going to focus on things that don't matter. Focus on Jesus. My wife and I were um, in L.A. a couple of weeks ago for a concert because we like hearing music in person. And we looked at the Hollywood sign, and she reminded me of something hilarious that happened when we first moved to Southern California. Um, I went into Los Angeles for the first time. We're not from there, but I drove into Los Angeles to do something. And on the way home, I got lost. So I called her. With the 30 minutes I had on my cell phone plan, some of your old timers remember that. <laughs> no GPS. Our phones were one function. You had a little snake game you could play. <laughs> and you could call people. <laughs> Some of you young ones ask adults what it means, to the, the snake game, yeah. And so I called her with my 30 minutes, and I said, hey, quick, quick, I'm lost. I just called to say goodbye. <laughs> Fr frankly, because, you know, when I got lost, I just, it, it, the despair was just overwhelming. I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to see you again. Um, this place is just, just vast. We're not from a metropolis this big, and the, there's the endless capillaries of side streets, and I just, goodbye. She says, Sam, what are you looking at right now? I'm like, streets, look up. What do you see? The Hollywood sign? She says, well, where's the Hollywood sign when you were driving into L.A.? It was on my right. She says, well, put it on your left and drive home. 
She's either brilliant or I'm very, very not brilliant. <laughs> yeah, the reason this worked is because the Hollywood sign had been stationary the whole time I was lost. I give you, you know, it's a reliable point of reference. It cannot be attached to you and it has to be stationary. And, and this, this is not what Paul is calling us to. When he says, in other renderings of the word uh, that, he, that we use here in the NLT, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, which is like a, a term borrowed from construction, from masonry and from carpentry, meaning permanently fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you're lost, if you're discouraged, his calling is the point is lift your eyes to the thing that has never changed and will not change, and you can guide yourself home or wherever you need to go. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I'll leave you with this, this story. So a few years ago, um, about a decade ago, a decade and a half, uh, 13 years ago, I got called to a hospital visit. I was a, a university chaplain, and I got a call, an interesting call. It went like this. Hey, um, this person's dying. I'm a relative. He's not expected to make it through the night, but we'd love for him to have a visit from a pastor. He knows you. He's seen you up front a couple of times. The couple of times in the last decade he's been to church, he said he knows who you are. So would you pay a visit to him tonight? I said, of course. So I went to the hospital. When I got into his room, he was no longer conscious. He was unconscious, uh, couldn't hear me. So I decided to spend a few minutes with him, praying, praying with him, and, and I did. I sat next to him, and, uh, and, I, and I said, I spoke to him. I said, Ken, you are, his name is Ken, you are um, in your last moments of life. And my job tonight is to prepare you. Um, well, maybe that's him right there, yeah to prepare you for what comes next. You're about to, um, you know what, beautiful thing, you're about to meet Jesus uh, after you fall asleep. If you're afraid, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. You have nothing to fear. You're being held in the, in the wonderful, loving, capable hands of Jesus tonight. Sleep well, Ken. And I prayed for him and I left. And I was overcome by this sense of how awful it is to be this lonely, that you have no one to run with, no one to be with at the very end of your life. And I wonder what has gone on in this man's life that, that it ends like this. Um, and I thought about this quite a bit over the next week until I got an email, and the email um, read like this. Sam. Not dear Sam, hi Sam, or dear Pastor Sam, just Sam. Um, this is Ken. I am alive. <laughs> and yes, I heard everything you said. Despite the fact that you did not pray for my healing, um, and despite the fact that you were like the angel of death, <laughs> I am alive. I'm coming to talk to you in your office tomorrow. <laughs> I thought, no, tomorrow? <laughs> wow, that was quick. You healed really fast. <laughs> um, 
And he did. He showed up early for his appointment. I'm in my office. I've got another person I'm talking to. And I could see him through my, through my window and my door. He's out there and he's talking to people. And he's pointing inside the office like, like angry. Like, like this terrible human being came to my, like the end. Anyway, I could just imagine what he was saying. So my appointment ends. I go out there and he comes into my office and just lets me have it. What kind of, pa- how are they training pastors nowadays in your seminary? That, that you would walk into my room and you basically, you, you declared me dead. I was, I heard everything you said. Like, You're terrible. I was like, noted, noted. Re- I receive your feedback. Thank you. <laughs> it's a growth moment. From now on, I'll ask the person who's not conscious, can you hear me? <laughs> and I'll just say, in case, in case you are in fact dying, I'd like to just say a word of prayer with you. And so um, it was awesome. So, so then he, say, he finished our meeting by saying, hey, when I was out there talking to your students, they're all hungry. That's another thing you're not doing well. You're not feeding them. So I'm coming back next week with some food. I'm like, oh, you're coming back. <laughs> Great news. Great, yes. Comes back the next week with two grocery bags full of Pop-Tarts and ramen. <laughs> he says, I Googled it. This is what they eat. <laughs> no, that's, that's true when they don't have any money. But that, yeah, you're right. Yes. So... Pop-Tarts and ramen every week, and then it began to evolve from Pop-Tarts and ramen every week to grocery cart, carts to the grocery store and fruit from his yard and granola bars and sometimes these horrible homemade cookies that he would make, but, but it was, he made them with, with his heart. And, and I would watch him, he would always come and sit for an hour or two and enjoy conversation with humans he probably hadn't had in a long time. The students who, you know, if you've been on a college campus, they can be so amazing. They began to, to just love him for no reason other than it's like a grandpa hanging out in our office and he brings us food and um, there he is. So um, he did not smile very often. I tried to get him to smile for this picture. He didn't. He just refused. <laughs> he said... <laughs> Uh, and, then, and then amazing things began to happen. He began to show up to church. He would sit in the corner in the back where he thought no one could see him. But we pastors, are, we have like, we pastors know when you're here and when you're not. I could see him. And I eventually saw students walking in, recognizing him and dragging him to the front. Now, he would never stand to sing. That's not, that wasn't his thing, but I could see his lips moving occasionally. It was like, um, like he had discovered a group of runners who had their eyes on Jesus and were happy to help him come alive. He began to repair other things in his life, relationships with his family, people he hadn't spoken to in decades. One day sitting in my office, I decided to go, just try to go deeper with him because I'm a chaplain. And he said to me, I'm being healed. I'm being cured of years of loneliness and years of anger and something, something is happening to me and I cannot describe it. Don't ask me to. It's just Amazing. In 2019, my last year at La Sierra University as chaplain, he died in April of that year, and I left two months later. It was almost like a gift 
to be able to have walked with him this long. And, and at his funeral, there were family. By the way, he really died this time. I went to the hospital and prayed for him. And <laughs> I did say, Ken, I know, I know we've been through this before, but I think this is it. I think this is it. Students showed up to his memorial. He had a, just like I did in the Coyote Trail, running. He had a group of people who ran with him and just kept saying, keep running, Ken, keep running, keep running. Together. God, I thank you for this passage. There's so much more we could talk about, so much meaning in it. In a, in a room this big, God, I know there are people who heard my, my story and are feeling like Ken. They haven't had a group to run with in a long time and maybe they, felt, they have felt lonely and forgotten. So I pray, I pray that you will inspire us first to be a generous and wonderful and sweet community that they may find comfort and life and they may be cured of loneliness here. God, I also pray for all of us as we read this passage and we think about what it means to be a church in momentum, that, that you will remind us that running is together always. That whatever baggage we're carrying that keeps us from being light on our feet, that you, Jesus, would lead us to identify those things and for us to cast them off so that we can be not just good runners, but winsome, generous, attractive runners who bring the kens around us to life. Thank you, Jesus, for being our reliable point of reference. And we pray our eyes may be lifted to you and we feel lost in the endless and vast side streets of our lives. May we lift our eyes to see you always the same, always guiding, always loving. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.